Thursday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, episode 119 and the first episode from UBS Arena at Belmont Park, where the Islanders played their inaugural game on Saturday, losing 5-2 to the Flames, but that was not really the story. The story was UBS Arena at Belmont Park. And hi, I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. You can find me on Twitter at Newsday, and joined tonight by our good friend Neil Best and also a newcomer to Island Ice, Laura Albanese, who has written approximately a book on the goings-on tonight. So let me start with you, Laura. Hello. <laughs> what were your first impressions of this building? What stood out to you, and what were you hearing as you walked through the crowd? To be perfectly frank with what I heard coming up to today, I thought it was going to be an absolute disaster. But walking in and looking at it, it looks really good. The fans are really enthusiastic. A lot of the things that they were working on leading up to the opening of the arena were actually put together. Uh, there were no wires hanging anywhere. There was no weird things going on. And people were thrilled. Um, the minute the doors opened, people were chanting. They were hugging. They were, it was like, it was a, it was a true homecoming. Um, and it was, uh, it was nice to see Islanders fans happy. Novel, but nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, sometimes they can be very not happy. But I mean, you know, we'll 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 talk in a later segment about the state of the team right now. And obviously, it's a little bit rough with uh, six players, uh, if I'm counting correctly, currently on COVID nineteen protocol and sort of a makeshift lineup tonight. But again, really the, 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 the main story was UBS Arena. Uh, Laura mentioned that it was a real rush to the finish line to get things ready here. Neil, as you looked around, was there something that stood out to you? Well, just in terms of the, 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 the readiness of it, yeah, I was here a week ago Thursday and then Wednesday, four days ago. And, you know, no matter how many times construction experts tell you, don't worry about it, we can actually do this, it's just hard to believe. <laughs> but but it, it actually got done, and, and I'm sure there was some minor, minor things going on. But, yeah, it's really amazing that they got this building done in the pandemic, that they got it done in this kind of mad rush in the last couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, it looks good, and, and fans... You know how this stuff, just in life, people, when there's this much of a buildup, people are cynical and they're cranky and they find things to complain about. I'm sure there's somebody out there who complained about things. But for the most part, like Laura said, it was just there's so much pent up just desire for this moment. And for the most part, other than the result of the game, it seemed to live up to all of the expectation. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I think jumped out right away is, and this is what the, the arena developers, Tim Laiwiki, has been talking about through two years of construction, that they wanted to replicate the Nassau Coliseum sound. They didn't necessarily want to replicate anything else about Nassau Coliseum, but they wanted to maintain that intimate feel and the crowd noise. And I thought, now, obviously, the press box is as high as you can go in this building, and that's not very high. I mean, the, the, the roof is only three feet taller than Nassau Coliseum, so I, I thought the view from the press box might have been one of the top four or five views in the NHL. However, uh, to me, 
it sounded very loud in the building. Well, I just I just happened to be on the concourse by the tailgate bar talking to a fan for my my column at the exact right after the Islanders made it three two and the you know and they had a bunch of scoring chances after that. So I was I was fortunate enough to actually be among the crowd during that really the most exciting part of the game, I guess. And yeah, it felt like the Coliseum, and it. Um, yeah, there, obviously there was just a great vibe there, it, you know. And I, I was thinking, well, if I'm standing here when the Islanders tie it, that would be a very cool place to be, but that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think what was, I was struck with was with all the touches that they made, all the new upgrades. There were also a lot of hearkening back to the things in the old Coliseum. You saw the Islanders Hall of Fame wall, which I thought was really cool. Um, they have all the Islanders' great moments all up in the walls, um, and they even have a lot of the posters hanging up on the Raptors just like the Nassau Coliseum, and they brought back Section 329, which was loud, and, and they're all standing, and they're hyped, even, you know, even when things aren't going well, and I, I, I thought that was a nice touch, because one of the biggest draws of the Coliseum, it wasn't a pretty place, but it was, it was a place people wanted to go to, because it felt familiar. It had a lot of good, happy memories, and I think they did a good job transposing those memories into UBS Arena. Right, just another point I wanted to make. I, I wrote about this in my column, but another thing I was thinking about tonight, you can, you can make a case in a rational world. There are more arenas than a, a metropolitan area needs. There are more, you know, there are enough billion-dollar facilities for billionaires in the world. But after watching, starting in 2007 with The Rock, for the last 14 years, every single team in this area got their new, or in the case of the Garden, rebuilt place. And everybody, you know, that's 14 years ago. And the Islanders fans had to sit there and watch all these places go up one after another. And now, last in line, but they got their turn, and they might they might have the best of them all. Yeah, no, and to your point, I mean, even the Red Bull yeah. had, like, a, a, yeah. a state-of-the-art modern, you know, I actually thought about the fact people were going to get mad I didn't mention the Red Bulls in my column. But the only, I guess the only, the only one left in, the, in line now is the NYCFC. They need, they need an arena. But, but, but the point is, yeah, there's too many arenas in the world, but if everybody else has got one, why shouldn't Islanders fans have one? Yeah. I mean, I talked to a fan downstairs, and he was like, we deserve this. He's like, am I going to miss the porter potties at Nassau Coliseum? Absolutely. But we deserve this. This is fantastic. And that's a lot of the, the vibe that I was getting. And I also liked um, the tribute they did to Charles Wong just because of all the work that he did. Um, and, and the fact that he passed away before he was able to see his dream come true, I thought that was a really, really nice touch. And, and again, a good, a good nod to the past of this franchise. Yeah, and yes, at Friday's ribbon-cutting ceremony, there was a lot of talk of visionaries to, to get this kind of project done through a, a COVID-19 pandemic. And when they mentioned visionaries, they, they were talking about Charles Wong first and foremost because he really initiated this and then they were also talking about the islanders ownership group led by scott malkin who really in a way gambled on uh, putting a lot of private money into building something in the middle of a pandemic and, and tim lywicki the uh, the arena developer the uh, ceo of oakview uh, group was talking about, you know, a lot of people told him and told the Islanders' ownership that this project could just not be completed at this time. And, you know, Laura is correct. There was a lot of, you know, if you remember the old football, you know, broadcast, this was an Alcoa, fanta you know, 
frantic finish to get to the, you know, to get to the finish line. There was a lot of last minute work. I mean, when I was here for the ribbon cutting ceremony, I, I walked into a men's room. Sorry if that's too much information. We all go to the bathroom at some point in our lives. <laughs> But I, as I'm in the men's room, a, a worker is literally putting together one of the stalls. I mean, this is a day before. Actually, there was a private charity event there that night. So, yeah, it, it came right up to the last minute. But And, and I'm sure there, there's still, you know, like you said, there are no wires dangling. And none of us had to wear hard hats in here. And by the way, when the Islanders practiced here on Thursday, the media was all issued hard hat and vests because it was still a construction zone. There was not a, none of that. They fit 17,255 people in here, and no one wore a hard hat. I stopped at Wendy's on Wednesday after my tour, and there were several construction veteran construction workers in there talking about this place. And, you know, Tim Laiwicki had just told me that, well, no, you know, in Seattle, we were just down to the last minute also. This is the normal way. And these construction guys were like, you know, this is a lot crazier than what we did in Seattle. Like, we, we were much further along in Seattle. So, so that, led, that led me to think, yeah, this really is going to be a sprint to the finish. And uh, speaking of Seattle, you know, as much work as Tim Laiwicki put into this building, which he did, Seattle... That's like his, really his baby. But when he, when he told me on Wednesday, you know, the, the, I promised Scott Malkin this place would be a nice, as, as the arena in Seattle would, climate, Cli climate, climate pledge, pledge arena, climate yeah. pledge arena. And, and, and he said, and it is. You know, in his mind, this is, this is just as good as that place, which has really got an incredible wow factor. So that, that to me said a lot also. And, and actually two completely different construction models because this is, they had to dig the foundation here. They built it, you know, 100% new. Climate Pledge Arena is an old arena that they've turned into a, you know, a 21st century modern facility. Two completely different. Right. And, and, you know, how crazy has Tim Laiwicki's life been the last couple of years bouncing forth? You know, he said he's, I think, working on seven different arenas around the world right now. I mean, I just, that's, uh, you know. Yeah. No, he's he's and he's a character too. Of course, I love the fact that he'll he's very quotable. He'll say anything, so that's good for reporters. <laughs> uh, Laura, any issues as you were walking around? I know you know there have been uh, there was stuff about where people could park, how far away people could park. What's LIRR going to be like here? Just what the flow is going to be like? Now, obviously, the garage across Hempstead Turnpike is not open yet. There are people parking on the other side of the, uh, you know, the racetrack, and that's a shuttle bus ride here. So, what what still needs to be worked out in your mind? Uh, I think one of the biggest thing is just getting out of the arena on time. I mean, uh, I was just looking on Twitter where I live, um, and on, <laughs> and over there they were saying, you know, it's taking 25 minutes, 30 minutes, which you know that was normal for. Nassau Coliseum, but we also want something a little bit more streamlined. And the fact that it's being backed up from the Cross Island Parkway, I think is going to be an issue, you know? So I, I think that's going to be a problem. They're also, because of how some of the concessions are laid out, uh, they're mostly like hot dogs, hamburgers, but a lot of the specialty concessions had really long lines, like unfathomably long lines. So I went down to get a chicken sandwich because I wanted to try Shaquille O'Neal's chicken sandwich. Oh. 
And man, there was like a hundred something people on this line. I was like, there's no way I'm going to get fired. I won't be able to write my story on time. So I had to tragically give up the chicken sandwich oh, dream. Oh no, oh no, yeah. oh no. <laughs> I know, honestly it hurt. Um, I, I actually feel like you're going to shed a tear or two here. You know, the chicken sandwich was important to me. <laughs> um, in addition to that, uh, the line to the fan store was was yeah. way too long yeah. so um i think again these are some of the issues maybe multiple entrances to the fan store would be a better idea or more entrances rather um just to make it a little more of a friendly experience um and another thing that i noticed is that on the lower concourse uh the it doesn't wrap all the way around so you have to go backwards it's not like you can take the entire tour around the arena which can make it difficult if you're trying to get a concession from one section and then have to go all the way back to the other one so these are tiny things but i do think there are things that you know will change the fan experience a little bit they're not huge yeah. i mean this is still pretty cool i went to the heineken lounge yeah. that place was lit <laughs> um it is a club in there and what i think is cool about that is um, having been to a million other stadiums, arenas, a lot of those places have places like that, but it's only for special ticket holders. It's only for people who pay extra. But the Heineken Lounge has that same vibe. It's got music, it's got DJ, it's got beer flowing everywhere, but it's for everybody. Um, so I think that, I thought that was really nice. And one thing I, I hope will happen over the next two or three years regarding the, uh, the traffic and parking is that a significant percentage of people will take the train. It's very I took the train today to Queens Village and walked the last mile and a half, which a number of other fans, you know, I saw did. Obviously, that's not a sustainable model. But, but, what, but once the Elmont Station gets really up and running, you know, I, I hope that people, uh, you know, a lot of people will choose to take the train because it makes life easier for everyone. Now, you were, you were telling me you got on a train that you, you went to Queens Village and not the Elmont stop because... When you came out here in the afternoon, there was not that first train to Elmont right. yet. Right. In fairness, I mean, the first train out of Penn Station to Elmont was 4.45, which is plenty of time for fans to get to the game. I took a 2.45 so that we're not yet going to Elmont. So I was very early. But I, I was impressed when I changed to Jamaica and about, you know, maybe 30 Islanders fans got on the train with me. I'm like, wow. And, and most of them walked a mile and a half with me from Queensville. <laughs> no, just I mean, which won't, that's which, such a fun parade. Well, I, mean, yeah. I mean, it won't work. It won't work in February, but it was fine today. Well, no, what uh, honestly, like you know, if you take the train out here and, and you go to Elmont, and it's it, what is it? It's it's only stopping eastbound, only right? Eastbound. Right. Yeah. What 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 happens? There's a, there, okay, there's a. I did not test that because I'm here with you right now. But there is a shuttle back to Queens Village uh, train station. I'm told. Um, so there are ways to do it. But yeah, yes, obviously it's a little awkward having a train that goes only in one direction. So <laughs> so yes, but that's a short term issue. Which next summer there's they're supposed to have both directions. Uh, that, there is, that does bring up another issue, though, is with handicap accessibility. I mean, some of these shuttles, you know, are they wheelchair accessible? Because, you know, we have been hearing from some, some differently abled fans that it is difficult to get around. Um, so that's something they definitely have to look into because, I mean, that's part of your fan base and you need to be catering to them as well. Yeah, so, uh, I, I know Newsday ran that story, was it a week ago, uh, about one uh, fan who wanted a, uh, you know, a, a handicap access and he was told, that initially he was not going to be right by the arena and I believe that got resolved so yeah so uh, hopefully that will continue to happen um, you know but other than that it was a good day it was a good day for Islanders fans well 
Yeah, other than the final score. Yes. No, I agree. It was. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Details, the final. Details, all right. We'll talk about the final segment or the, the final score in the second segment. But first, uh, talking about being it being a good day uh, and, and the fans. Our own, uh, uh, the, the, the other member of the Island Ice crew, Mark LaMonica, who just uh, does not want to be called intrepid, but he intrepidly <laughs> went around the arena before the game and, and, and spoke to some fans about what they were expecting and their experiences here. So uh, Mark has uh, cut together some clips, and here's what the fans were saying about coming to UBS Arena at Belmont Park. It's got a striking resemblance to the Coliseum. It feels like a bigger version of the Coliseum. The color of the seats, the way the ice is laid out, the low ceiling, it all, it feels like home right away. It doesn't feel like a brand new building. It feels like I've been here before. It's fantastic. Like I heard, it's from the outhouse to the penthouse. We were outside on the terrace. I think it's called the Heineken Terrace or something. It didn't even feel like we were at a game. It feels like a, a club, bar, like a hangout spot, and it's incredible. The white tile, um, it's big, it's roomy. Um, you, can pretty much, you pretty much can move around, not like, not like the other Coliseum. You know, this is an NHL venue. The other place, the Coliseum to me was like minor league, you know? They actually gave us a tour of it before it opened a few weeks ago and were telling us all about it. They built the ceiling and the structure of it so that it keeps the echoey sound of the Coliseum. So it'll be even louder because there's more seats here too. So I'm pretty excited about that. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. It, they did a real good job laying it out and uh, I'm really happy. I mean, that's all I can say. It's been a long time coming for this organization. Um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be nice when they get it all under control. You know, when they figure out the quirks. You know, always the first day you're going to have issues with anything. So, like you see us by having our first goal, we always have situations. It doesn't feel real like it doesn't feel this feels temporary for some reason it, it just doesn't it's hard to accept that this is our home forever now like it's it's such a, a gratifying feeling to know that we're finally here and it's a shame that that Charles Wang isn't gonna be here to, to see it because without him we wouldn't be here right now we'd probably be in Seattle or Kansas City so I'm an Allen fan my whole life my McCombins have been fun my neighbors had season tickets to 72 the Gamones um, so I've been coming since I've been able to sit in their seats. So this is a great opportunity for myself. I, was, I wanted to be here, you know, to see the first game at the new facility, 100%. So that was a bit of the Islander fans uh, talking, and you heard Mark talk to some uh, long time, going back to 1972 fans. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk going into the opening of this building about, you know, highlighting those you know expansion era fans and bringing them over here one thing that sort of separates ubs arena at belmont park from even nassau coliseum or any of these other arenas in the area that that neil was bringing up is that this arena was specifically designed for hockey i mean which is a huge change obviously from barclay center in brooklyn the scoreboard is nice and centered, and can we talk about the scoreboard for a minute? I mean, it was, I mean, talk about HDTV. <laughs> when, um, when at, at, before the game, they started showing the fans coming in, and I think I gasped, and I turned to Neil, I'm like, do you see this thing? That thing is awesome. That is, it's like you're there. It's, it's, it's in 3D. 
Yeah, not quite as big as the Cowboys one, but, but it's, yeah, it's much bigger than the Coliseum. Well, I mean, the yeah. Coliseum oh, was like watching no, Coliseum, a 13-inch TV. No, the Coliseum was not <laughs> adequate for 21st century purposes. You could hook up an Atari uh, to that thing. <laughs> a pond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we've been, well, you know, we've been in many of these modern arenas, and they're all very nice, but in some cases, and we, we could tell from the press box because we're at the top of the arena, you, you really feel how far back you are. In this place, they designed it so that we would not be far back, which is a better view for you know everybody in the upper deck, including us. Um, so yeah, that and that's obviously better for hockey. So yeah, it's it's not it's not as tight as the Coliseum, but that's impossible in a modern arena. So by g- given the, the the requirements of a modern arena, I thought they did a pretty good job of the sight lines. Yeah, and uh, I I was just walking around because one of my things that I was working on for the story is looking at concessions and at the bar areas and all that other stuff. And every single one, well, all the bars that I saw uh, that were out on the main concourse all had direct views of the ice, which I think is really important. Um, If you go to some place like City Field, they have the bars, but they're offset, so you can't be watching the game live while also sitting at the bar. But here, it has that sports bar feel, but you're also watching live hockey, which I think is really a good draw. Yeah, and and up on the upper bowl, there's an air. One end is just completely open. There, it's a it's a bar restaurant area. It's completely open. You can it's standing room. You can just stand there, and it's a good view of the ice, even from the upper deck. You know, if you're standing looking right down at the net. The the only thing though I did notice is particularly in the second period, and this is true of every single modern arena, not just this one. It is designed to get people out of their seats to go and hang out and buy things and go elsewhere so um yeah that was really kind of noticeable we know the place was sold out but there was a lot of empty seats because people were obviously exploring uh but that's you know that that's what all modern stadiums have yeah you know why i kept hopping out of my seat was because they kept bringing better and better food into the media press room i mean uh the meal room i was getting some really big cookies i had some uh, ice cream in there i mean even the coffee was pretty decent how much sugar have you had a lot (laughs) (laughs) you know but the, the 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 challenge after the excitement of an opening day of course is there's another game on sunday yes and 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 at that point it will be you'll sort of hit home that the islanders have lost five games in a row and have no players yeah so Oh, that, yeah. that, that you know, we, we're all understandably and, you know, reflecting the fans' uh, excitement over this opener. But starting on Sunday, they're just, un- they're just another struggling hockey team. Right, yeah. No, they've, they've lost five straight in all five games in that loss. And, I, you know, I, this was really a 3-2 loss. The, yeah. the, the Flames, you know, Varlamov gets pulled. They, they, they net two empty netters there to make it 5-2. Still, it's, it's five straight games where they've uh, given up at least four goals. That's never happened under Barry Trotz. Uh, I'm doing quick math in my head. They have been outscored in the, in the five-game uh, losing streak. 19 plus 5 is 24, and 4 plus 2 is 6. So they've been, uh, what is that, 24 to 6 over the last uh, five games. And Look, uh, the Flames came in, and they were third in the league in, in goal differential. They came in with a plus 20. They leave here with a plus 23. I mean, the, the Islanders can't sniff a plus 23 right now. So it, it was going to be a tough game regardless for the Islanders. But then, you know, the, the list of who's on the COVID protocol, you start with Josh Bailey, uh, on Tuesday in Florida, and then on Friday, Anders Lee 
and Ross Johnson get put on uh, the COVID protocol list. And, and it was on thir- Thursday, the team practiced here. And Anders Lee was asked about Josh Bailey not being available. And Anders gave a very, you know, a, a really deep, good, emotional answer about how much it stinks because Josh Bailey is the longest tenured Islander. And if anyone deserved to be here for opening night, it was Josh Bailey. Well, if if anyone else deserved to be here for opening night, it, it, it's Anders Lee, right? So he's on. Ross Johnson is on. Then uh, fr- late Friday night, the Islanders find out that Adam Pellick and uh, Andy Green, two of their top six defensemen, are on. And, and that makes it even tougher because the Islanders are already playing without Ryan Pulak, who I believe has a, a, an ankle or a right ankle or a right foot issue. Uh, that's four to six weeks. So now you're playing without your top pair defensemen. And then on Saturday, Anthony Beauvillier also comes back with a positive test. So that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, what is that, six regulars out of the lineup. Five, five, six regulars. You know, you guys know how I am with math. But, uh, <laughs> well, it's not like, oh, it's like, it's not as if this is a one day thing. Again, they have a game Sunday. We assume. Uh, all or most of these players are not going to play. Um, we, we don't know. Well, Barry Trotz doesn't know from one minute to the next who's going to play. And Josh Bailey is still in Florida in quarantine. And, and then, look, and the, and, the, and, and the whole team has to test again. You know, they all tested today. They all have to test tomorrow morning. When COVID goes around a room, who, you know, and, and I should mention everyone in the organization is, is vaccinated, which makes this even scarier. Yeah, and, and one of the things that was interesting is, you know, Barry Trotz talked about, you know, the, the little pep in their step they got from being in the new arena, but that's not <clears> going to necessarily be there tomorrow. So, believe it or not, even though they're on this losing streak, this is one of the best games that I've seen during the losing streak. Yes. They had a lot of dy- diamondism. They, they were really in it to the very end, not yeah. to be Pollyannish. <laughs> um, but tomorrow's a different story. Yeah. What if somebody else goes down? What if it isn't a sellout crowd? Yeah. What if, you know, what if things change? The excitement's yeah. not going to be there. And, and, you know, it, it was that's what made tonight covering tonight kind of weird to me is that we all had to write about the bigger picture of this, which, you know, 15 years from now, people are not going to remember the specifics of this loss or the five game losing streak or the COVID guys. And it's going to be, you know, this arena is going to be a big part of the franchise. But in but tonight we had to balance that with this weird shocking situation. I You know, I know we're not supposed to feel bad for these very highly paid famous professional athletes but yeah you, you had to feel bad for Bailey Lee you know all these guys uh, but particularly Bailey and Lee really kind of stand out just because they've been here forever well um, Adam Pellick and, uh, yeah, yeah. and Pellick yeah. and Pollock and, and I, mean, Pulak, no, yeah. I mean they've all been here a long yeah. time but to me it was like Bailey and Lee in terms of like feeling yes. bad for guys they kind of hurt the most yeah yeah no absolutely um I, I guess if you're going to take positives out of a negative situation, which COVID certainly is, is they, they bring up defenseman Robin Sallow, um, which we all expected was going to happen at some point this season. Uh, probably the Islanders' most highly touted defense prospect. He's in his first season in North America, uh, coming over from uh, he spent the last two years in the Swedish Hockey League. He had a great training camp, but you want to give a guy in North America for the first time a little bit of seasoning in the AHL. He came over. He looked 
he looked like he belonged tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, he looks polished. Yeah. Well, Laura and I have been studying the Bridgeport team very carefully <laughs> in Deeply. preparation for covering this game. So we knew what some of these guys could do, and we're not shocked that they played well tonight. And the we're other... so good at our jobs, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> the other really positive thing I thought was uh, Noah Dobson, uh, you know, who is obviously counted upon heavily I I going forward for the Islanders' futures. You know, he... I mean, the Islanders certainly hope he develops into a top two, top four defenseman here. Uh, as a third-year pro, you're going to go through growing pains, and he certainly has not gotten off to the start this season that anyone, he or the team, wants. But Noah Dobson easily played his best game of the season tonight. Um, the, the, the other guys who stepped into the lineup, Richard Panic, who has over 500 games of NHL experience, he gets an assist. He, he sets up uh, Brock Nelson's power play goal. Uh, and, and also Andy Andreoff, who has about 179 games of NHL experience. You know, he's thrust into the top six, in a top six role. And I thought he acquitted himself well. Now, obviously, you know, the, the Islanders are a much better team when they have Ant Anthony Beauvillier and Anders Lee and Josh Bailey in the lineup. But... I thought those guys brought some energy, and I, uh, Laura's completely correct. This was by far their best performance in this losing I mean, streak. There's a, there's a theoretical world in which this pays dividends come the spring because they're getting these guys' experience and have more options. But, you know, they actually have to make the playoffs in order to be in the playoffs, Andrew. I don't know if you realize that's the way this works. So, <laughs> they, you know, at some point, I know it's November. Look, it's November 20th, so it's the NHL. We're not supposed to be looking at playoff standings yet. But at some point, that's going to become a question. Well, especially the, the way the Hurricanes have started the season, the way the uh, uh, Washington Capitals have started, the way the New York Rangers, you know, uh, they, they haven't played their best. And still, they, you know, they, 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 I know they lost the other night, but at one point they're 9-3-3 three, and, three, and they're collecting points. It's, it's a very tough division, and the Islanders cannot afford to, to fall too far behind because, you know, the good thing is they have 40 home games remaining. They have 28 on the road. So if they can develop a home ice advantage here, you know, theoretically they should prosper the rest of the season. But as Barry Trotz has been saying, this building is new to everyone. The Islanders were on the road for 13 games. It's, as Barry said, it's going to be neutral site games for both teams probably for a couple of weeks here. And the, and the Islanders, this started a four-game homestand, and they play 14 of 20 through the end of December in this building. So you, know, you would hope within two or three weeks they can certainly make this feel like their home. Yeah, well, they better. They better. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah, the only response to that. They better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Anyone else have uh, anything to add to this? No, I, I just, you know, I was, I was reading Newsday's story from the first event at Nassau Coliseum, which was actually a Nets uh, Condors game, not an Islanders game. But I mean, Pittsburgh Condors. Pittsburgh Condors. And yeah, Rick Barry scored 45 points, and the Nets won 129 to 121. But, but the, 
the, the 7,000 of the 15,000 seats were not in yet. Therefore, the attendance was only 7,000, 7,800. And there were leaks, you know, in the locker room and just, you know, a ridiculous situation. And even when the Islanders opened against the, the Atlanta Flames for their first game, 12,000 people well short of a sellout. You know, so when you think about that history, you know, this was just much better and much cooler <laughs> and more, you know, handled better by everyone concerned. So everyone deserves credit. The, the, the construction workers got a standing ovation tonight. Yeah, they deserve. They deserve uh, that. Unbelievably so. So, yeah, so, yeah it, was, uh, it was cool. Well, as uh, Laura and Neil have said, there's another game to be played tomorrow, and I know you guys – you both have another game tomorrow, even though it's not a, a, a hockey game, right? You're going to... Uh... It's big. This is big. I know it's not as big as Islanders Maple Leafs, but we have Jets Dolphins. Joe Flacco. I mean, how much bigger can it be? Me playing quarterback? <laughs> uh, you might have to. <laughs> <laughs> I will be here. <laughs> well, that is it for episode 119 of the Island Ice Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I want to thank my two Newsday teammates and friends, Laura Albanese. You can find her. Please find her on Twitter. She is one of the best follows out there. And yes, she is snarky. That is at Albanese Laura. And you know where to find Neil. That's at Sportswatch. I'm Andrew Gross at Twitter at A Gross Newsday. And for any Islanders content, please go to newsday.com backslash Isles. And until the next time, happy hockey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>